0: Well, will please be to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and we're going to uh, do this psalm over the next couple of weeks. Psalm 37. We'll read the psalm in its entirety this morning, but we'll be uh, focusing on the first couple of verses today. Psalm 37, we'll begin reading in verse 1. There it says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evildoing, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity." The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be shamed in time of evil. And in the days of famine, they will have abundance, but the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pasture. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives for those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his descendants begging for bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land." When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, violent man, spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have uh, posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord." He is their strength in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word gives to us, Lord, such wisdom, Lord, such clarity and understanding, Lord, for our own present day. Lord, because we know in this life that we will see, Lord, many wicked and violent men, rising into positions of prominence, of power, Lord, living in great prosperity in this present life. And Lord, we pray that when we see this, that it would not cause our faith to be weakened, Lord, that it would not be a stumbling block to us, but that we might view this present world, Lord, not by what we see with our eyes, Lord, but by what you declare to be true in your holy word that, Lord, we would see that there is not a future for a man of wickedness, but there is a future for the man of peace, for the one who directs his steps in your word. And so, Father, we pray that we would not be anxious, that we would not be envious, Lord, of the wicked, but instead that we would trust in you, Lord, that we would do good, Lord, that we would live a godly and an upright life, knowing, Lord, that in due time, the wicked will be cut off, and the righteous will be established forever. So Lord, give to us faith. Lord, help us to believe your word. Lord, that we might be faithful to you in all things. And it is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Well, one of the tests to our faith that we must endure during the time of our sojourning is the existence of the wicked, right? The presence of the wicked, and specifically the power and the prosperity that they so often enjoy, right? We remember that in this present world, Right? This present world is ruled, in a sense, right by the devil. Not that the devil is outside of the will of God. Not that he is uh, doing whatever he wants and thwarting God. Certainly, the devil and the wicked are all under the control and the rule of God. But in the way this world is currently, according to the will of God, the devil is the God of this present world. It says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 4 says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, right? This has always been the case and will always be the case in this present world. The wicked will be many in contrast to the righteous who will be few. The wicked will have power, they will have prosperity, while the righteous will be few, they will be marginalized, they will often be the target of the attacks of both the God of this world and of his followers. The righteous will have their share of afflictions in this life, while the wicked many times will live in prosperity in ease and in comfort. Right, why is this the case? Right, why is it that God's children are so often afflicted in this life while the children of the devil live lives of ease, luxury, and prosperity? Isn't this the case in which we find ourselves in our present day? Right, when you look at the so-called great ones of the earth, the rulers, the leaders of the day, those who amass vast fortunes, who wield great influence upon the earth, is it not generally the case that they are unbelievers that they are godless men and women wicked men and women who use their power and wealth not to promote the glory of god not to promote righteousness on this earth but instead to live an indulgent sinful life and to promote that which is contrary to the will of god right look at our own situation even in america politically right look at our leaders our president our vice president right the congress the supreme court Are there any true believers there, right? Are there any of them that we could say are true believers? And then what about the rich? Take the 50 richest people in America. Would we find among them even one true believer? Probably not the case at all. And this is not just our experience. This is the common experience of all the righteous throughout all the ages, because we are strangers and aliens. We are sojourners on this earth with God. And we will be counted as the scum of the earth. As it says in Psalm 44, verse 22, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So when this is our situation, and this is our situation, what are the righteous to do? How are we to overcome this obstacle, this test, this tribulation? the power and prosperity granted to the wicked in this life. This is a temptation that we will face, right? We're going to face this and we have to overcome it if we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 14, verse 22, it is through many tribulations you must enter into the kingdom of God. This is one of those tribulations that we will face during the time of our testing, right? And this isn't just a one-day test. It is a lifelong test that we will see day after day after day from conversion to death. As long as this earth remains in its present state, the wicked will have much power and prosperity in contrast to the righteous. So how are we going to overcome it? Well, what is the victory that is given to us? It is our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in the word of Christ. And this is what Psalm 37 is teaching us. How are we to process? How are we to look at this dilemma that we face? When we look at this present world, and it seems as if God favors the wicked and that God loathes the righteous. But we know that's not the case. So how are we to look at these things? And how are we to overcome this obstacle? And this is what Psalm 37 is teaching us. So let's look. We're going to start in verse 1, and we'll make our way through the psalm take as long as we want okay psalm 37 verse 1 says do not fret because of evildoers do not be envious toward wrongdoers here the prophet begins by giving warnings to the righteous warnings against two sins right twin sins in regard to the power and prosperity that the wicked enjoy in this life. All right, that's what they're seeing. right? This is their experience. This is what they're observing. The wicked have power. The wicked have prosperity. And when that is the case, there are going to be temptations, sins, that are going to come upon the righteous. And we have to be aware of these things. And we have to overcome them. The first of these sins is to fret. He says, do not fret. Because of evildoers, right? When the wicked rise up in power, when we see them living it up in this life, doing as they please, even blaspheming the very name of God, promoting all manner of unrighteousness, persecuting the faithful and the righteous, right? Day in and day out with no consequences, right? Isn't that often the case? They live a life of ease and luxury. They have comforts and there's no consequences for all the things that they do. We will be tempted to be anxious, right? To fret when we see these things. And while it is true that we ought to be bothered by it, right? It should bother us when we see wicked men going from bad to worse. When we see people doing in open daylight those things that are shameful and contrary to the law of God. Especially when we see these things in our leaders, right? In the rulers of the land giving themselves over to every vice imaginable, establishing laws and policies in the land that suppress righteousness and promote wickedness, this should bother us greatly. He's not saying, put your hand in the sand, deny the reality, don't think about it, don't talk about it, just act like everything is good and fine. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't fret over it. You have to see it. You have to recognize it. It's in our face all the time. But how are we to respond when we see these things? We should be bothered by sin in our own life, but also when we see it all around us. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 136. Psalm 119, verse 136, says, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. There, the psalmist, the prophet, his eyes shed streams of water. He's weeping, he's crying because he sees the wicked not keeping the law of God. They're breaking the law of God. So he's not denying the reality, he's not living in a dream world, in a fantasy land, denying reality and living a lie. He sees what's happening. It bothers him. He's upset. He's weeping because he sees God's law being broken each and every day. And this is the way we ought to be as well. We should be moved when we see God's law being violated so flagrantly amongst the wicked. And when, but when we see these things, though it is good for us to weep, Though it is good for us to take notice, for us to be bothered by this, for us to cry out to God, we are forbidden by the prophet, by the word of God, from fretting over these things, from being filled with anxiety and fear when we see the power and prosperity of the wicked, when we see things going from bad to worse. We cannot be anxious over these things, yet there are many who this is what happens to them. Many who claim to be Christians, but when they see the wickedness in the world, when they see the wicked rising in power and prosperity, they can't deal with it. Right? They can't deal with it properly. They can't look at the world and deal with it according to the word of God. So they either want to put their head in the sand, they want to go live out in a cave in the woods, and have no access to the outside world so they don't know what's going on and then ignorance will be bliss, right? We'll just convince ourselves everything is good and great and we don't want to know what's taking place, right? I know of Christian pastors who have, who have done this. They turn off the television, they put their phone away, they don't read anything. I don't wanna know what's going on. I'm just going to live in this bubble and deny the reality of what is taking place in our present day because they cannot process and deal with all of the evil that is going on. They can't sleep, can't eat. They get all worked up because the godless are winning the day, right? Joe Biden, he stole the election. We've got a raging pandemic going on. We're all going to die, right? The Supreme Court, right? They're worthless most of the time. They ruled against us on some decision, right? The Congress passed some uh, obscene law into into policy, and now we're all going to have to deal with it. Russia just invaded Ukraine. World War III is coming, right? And they are, uh, don't know what to do. They're running around like maniacs. We've got gay marriage. There's drag queens everywhere doing story hours with the children. right? What are we going to do? Right? They see these things, and then they can't deal with it. They can't process it without completely melting down. They curl up in the floor in the fetal position And they sit there and they are unable to do anything. They can't even get out of the floor because they're so overtaken with anxiety, with fear, right? They're going to lock us all up into concentration camps. They're going to take our children away from us. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? Everything is getting horrible. This is the end. This is what people do. And they've been doing it for many, many years. Actually, there's a very uh, successful business model based upon this, right? You just find whatever fear is ruling the day and you write some book about it and everyone goes and gets it, right? How it's the end of the world and everyone uh, drinks it up like water and then you move on to the next crisis and you do it over and over and over again. This is because people, they sensationalize these types of things. This is not the proper Christian response, to the troubling activity of the wicked, to fret over it, to get caught up in it, to be anxious over these things, to be filled with fear and trepidation so that you can't even go outside of your house and you don't know what to do. We should not do these things. We have to be able to look at reality, look at the world, look at what is taking place in the world, even though the reality is many times very evil, and know how to deal with it according to faith in the word of God. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4. Philippians four four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Right? Not rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Not rejoice in the Lord when everything is good and great. But when... Rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, right, at all times, even when it looks horrible out there, right, whether that be in some personal way, some affliction that has come upon you personally, or whether that is what's taking place in the world. It doesn't matter. We are to rejoice in the Lord always at all times. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There, he says it. Be anxious for nothing. For nothing. Why are you anxious about your life? About this present world? About what is taking place here? Why are we anxious over these things? Except that we don't trust God. Except that we don't believe God in his word. That's what he's forbidding us from here. Don't be anxious. Do not fret over these things. Now, again, that doesn't mean be uninformed. He doesn't say be ignorant. He doesn't say go hide in a hole in the ground and cut yourself off from the outside world. We have to be aware of what is going on. We have to talk about what is going on. We need to do whatever we can to influence and to fight against what is going on insofar as what it is is evil. But at the end of the day, If the wicked seem to gain the upper hand, we can't fret over these things and we cannot be anxious. So first, do not fret because of evildoers. Secondly, the second sin, do not be envious toward wrongdoers. Right. Right, not only can we not fret, but also we should not envy the evil. We should not envy the wrongdoers, right? This is the other sin. Especially, again, this will be the case, not when we see the wicked living in misery, and there are many times where their sins lead them to live in misery, like the drunkard or the druggie who's living there on the streets. We don't envy that person, right? We say, I don't want it to be like that person at all. But when those who have prosperity, when those who become very rich and powerful, and it opens up for them a lifestyle that many people long to have, A lifestyle of riches, of pleasures, of comfort. We cannot be envious of them seeing that they have attained that life through wicked means. right? Not through just means, not through righteous means, but through wickedness. We'll be tempted to think that it is actually more beneficial to live a godless life, a profane life, than to live a godly life. That godliness is a detriment to my happiness. Whereas living a wicked life, an ungodly life, this is going to promote my happiness. Because look, it brings prosperity, which then opens the way for the pleasures of this world. This is a temptation that we will face as well. To envy the lifestyle of the rich and famous. But we can't do this either. We can't do this. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Here, this was the case with the prophet in Psalm 73, envy of the wicked. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There, he's envying them when he sees what? What? "'Their prosperity, I see their prosperity, "'and now I'm in the them. "'For there are no pains in their death, "'and their body is fat. "'They are not in trouble as other men, "'nor are they plagued like mankind. "'Therefore pride is their necklace. "'The garment of violence covers them. "'Their eyes bulge from fatness. "'The imaginations of their heart run riot. "'They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. "'They speak from on high. "'They have set their mouth against heaven.' and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long, and chastised every morning." So there, in contrast, they have prosperity. They have ease. They have comfort. Everything goes well with them. But me, on the other hand, I'm living a righteous life, and I'm being chastened every morning. It's not going well with me. I'm being stricken all day long, so why should I live a righteous life? I should just join in with them. I should become like them, and then I'll have prosperity in the same way that they do. This is the temptation, again, that the prophet faced, and none of us are prophets. Yet this is what he was facing, and so will we not face it in our own day as well? The world promotes the lifestyle of the rich and famous. When we see the prosperity, the comforts, right, the way that they live, the things that they have, their many possessions, we will think, oh, that would be the life. Right? Oh, we wish that we could trade places with them. Man, I wish that I had all the things that they have without considering who they are, without considering their spiritual state, their eternal state, only looking at their prosperity, their prosperity. And even these people, we know, most of them are miserable anyway, right? It's all a facade that they put out. Many of them are miserable even in this life, but especially they're going to be miserable in the life to come. Also, Job chapter 21. Job 21 and verse... 7, Job 21, 7 says, Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? Their descendants are established with them in their sight, and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and the rod of God is not on them. His ox mates without fail, his cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little one like the flock, and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and harp. And rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity. And suddenly they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? Behold, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Right, isn't this the case? Their houses are safe. Their descendants are established their calves, their cows, they have all their calves. They never have any problems. Their children are skipping around town, having a great time, just living it up. And then they die a quick, sudden death, not a painful, long, excruciating death. This is what he's saying. This is what's happening. This is what's taking place. Why is this the case? Why are the wicked prospering in this way? This is a test. It was a test that Job had to overcome. It was a test in Psalm 73 for the prophet. It'll be a test for us as well. When we see the wicked prospering in this present life, we will be tempted to want to join in with them. If you can't beat them, then you join them. Become like them, right? See the lifestyle that they live. See all of their pleasures. See all of their comforts. See all of their possessions and things. Well, I wish that I could live like that, right? I wish that I could go the places that they go. I wish that I could eat the meals that they ate. I wish that I had all the prosperity, right? Wouldn't it be something to be able to live the way that they live, to have access to all the comforts and all the pleasures that this life can afford, and then to envy them because of their prosperity, right? To be like a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk, right, to have all of that wealth, all of that power, to have people hanging on your every word, wouldn't that be the good life? This is what happens to many people. But here he tells us we can't do that. This is not becoming of a Christian, either to fret over them or to be anxious over these people, right? We cannot do that when we see them prosper in this life, Now, why? Why is this the case? Why should we not envy them, and why should we not fret over them? Well, he tells us in verse 2. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. The wicked in their prosperity are likened unto the grass of the field and unto the green herb. Yes, they have strength for a season. Yes, they are lush and prosperous for a moment, but for how long? How long is that going to last, right? Only for a very short while, right? Just like the grass right now, currently, it's in its strength. It is lush, it is green, it is spreading and growing here and there. But we all know in just a little while, we'll put our lawnmowers up. We won't have to get them out anymore. It'll be a wonderful day, right? The the autumn will come and then the winter. And what's gonna happen to that green grass in your yard? It's all going to die. It's going to die. It's going to wither. It'll all fade away in only a few short months. It goes from brown to green from brown in just a few short months. This is how the herb is as well. It's here one week and then it's gone the next week and you never see it again. There it goes. As it is with the grass, so it is with the man. As it is with the herb, so it is with the wicked. Right And especially here, those who are wicked in their prosperity. Right, This is true of all men. All men are like grass. But here specifically, he's talking about wicked men. Wicked men in their prosperity. They are like grass. They are like the green herb. So why would we fret over them? Why would we be envious of them seeing that in a very short while, In just a little bit of time, they are soon going to fade away. They are going to die and they will be no more. They will no more inhabit this earth and they won't have their possessions because they came into this world naked. They will leave them from this world naked and whatever they have on this earth will be given to someone else. Half of it will be seized Unjustly by the government, and the rest of it will go to whoever is their descendants or the one who gets it, who will probably squander it and throw it all away. So why would we envy that? Why would we fret, seeing that in just a little while they will be no more? This is the problem. Right? Those who succumb to these temptations, who are anxious, who are fretting over the prosperity of the wicked. Those who are envious over the prosperity of the wicked, right? these are symptoms of a greater sin, right? of a greater sin, of an underlying issue, and that is no faith. They do not have faith. They are filled with doubts, with trepidations, instead of being filled and being strong in faith. Those who fret and those who envy have the same core problem. They do not believe God's word. They're not reading their Bible and they're not believing what the Bible says concerning the prosperity of the wicked. And they are consumed not with the life to come. They're not thinking about the life to come because if they're thinking about the life to come, they wouldn't be fretting about them. If they're thinking about the life to come, they wouldn't be envious of them. They're consumed with this present world with the possessions of this world, with their comforts and the pleasures of this present world, with their safety in this present world, but they're not thinking about the life to come, about eternity and the eternal state. Right? That's what we have to do, Right? not only for ourselves, but for everything. Everything in this life, we must assess it. We must look at it. We must judge it in contrast to the world to come to the age to come, right? To eternity, right? We can't look at it just in its current state, but we have to look at it in contrast to the life to come. Those who fret, those who are envious, all they see is this present life. They're not looking beyond this life. They're not looking to the world to come. They're fixated. They're fascinated with this world and they're judging the wicked by what they see, not by faith, Right? Not by faith, in the word of God, in the declaration of God concerning the outcome of the wicked. They're short-sighted. Extremely short-sighted because they're only looking at this life. Right? If I were to offer you two options, you can either have $100 and I'll give it to you today, or you can wait and tomorrow I'll give you a million dollars. And you can only have one, either 100 today or a million tomorrow. What would everyone choose? Who's thinking rightly? Who's a sane mind? Wouldn't we prefer a million dollars tomorrow than a hundred today? Though we can't spend it today, we wouldn't have the instant gratification of having the hundred today. Everyone would take the million tomorrow. And if someone was so stupid as to take the hundred and not the million, we would all laugh at them, ridicule them, say, what's wrong with this person? Right? Who would do this? Couldn't he, didn't he know that he could have had all of this riches? but he only took the $100. Well, isn't that the same with the wicked and the prosperity that they have in this life compared to the life to come? The wicked enjoy at most, right? At most, even if they're born into wealth, 70 or 80 years of luxury, of comfort, of prosperity, right? In a third of their life, they're sleeping, so they're not enjoying anything there. Maybe they have a good mattress, but I mean, who we can all get a my pillow pillow topper and it's going to be great for our backs we're going to sleep good just like a baby right so most of their some of their life they're sleeping then other times they're not enjoying these things right so even at most even if born into wealth they might have 70 to 80 years of prosperity of luxury of comfort in contrast to eternity and what will they have for all eternity never ending suffering, afflictions, torment, sorrow, misery in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So why are we going to fret seeing that they're soon going to perish, right? There's no doubt that yes, they are a menace to society now. They do strut here and there in this life. They do harass the righteous. They are a burden and a nuisance to us. But for how long? For just a very short while just a blip, just like the grass of the field, right? It will soon fade away, it will perish. And in comparison to eternity, right, for how long will we we be tormented by the wicked? For a very, very little while, right? A very short momentary time. And why would we envy them seeing that they're headed to the lake of fire? Right, yeah, they're living it up now, But even as they're living it up now, all they're doing is storing up more judgment for themselves on the day of judgment when God's judgment will be revealed. They are advancing every day towards an eternal destiny of suffering, of hardship, of affliction, unlike anything that any of us have ever experienced in this life. They will come to know true poverty, they will come to know true destitution true suffering and torment for all eternity so yes they may be sailing along in their luxurious yachts but by faith we see that they are about to sail over a cliff and it's going to plunge them into the very depths of hell so why should we fret over them knowing that God's going to wipe them out and why should we envy them seeing where their eternal destiny is We shouldn't do that at all. So if a person is doing that, it shows they're not reading the Bible. They don't believe the word of God. They're not living in light of the day of judgment. The day of judgment. Notice even in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse nine. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. Also, verse 12, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Verse 17, The arms of the wicked will be broken, for the Lord sustains the righteous. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish, like smoke they vanish away. Verse 28. For the Lord loves justice, and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. Verse 35. I have seen a wicked, violent man, spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo! he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. And then verse 38, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. If all we had was this one song, we have sufficient proof, sufficient reason, many evidences, many confirmations that what is going to happen to the wicked. They're gonna be destroyed. God's going to cut them off. You're gonna look for them one day, and poof, they're gonna be gone. And you will not be able to find them. They will be no more. And then they will go to hell for all eternity. So, why should we envy them? Why would we do that at all? Only if we're not living by faith. If we're living by sight, then we will envy them. If we're living by faith, then we will not be fretting and we will not be envious of them. And are we not told that we are to walk by faith and not by sight? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse seven, he, said, he doesn't say walk by sight and not by faith. He says, walk by faith and not by sight. You have to live in this present world, the life of faith and not judge things by what your eye sees. But we have to judge it according to the word of God. What God says is true, right? Don't trust your senses. Don't trust your eyes. Look at them, look at the world in light of the word of God, according to what it says. Also in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter two, Habakkuk chapter two in verse four says, behold, as for the one, as for the proud one, his soul is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by his faith, right? The the proud one, the unbeliever, the wicked one, his soul is not right within him, right? Everything is wrong. But the righteous man, he lives by his faith. He lives the life of faith. This is the Christian life. It is to live the life of faith. Also, 2 Peter chapter one. 2 Peter chapter one. In verse 5. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. There, whoever lacks these qualities, right, the qualities, the virtues of the Christian life, he says that this person is blind or short-sighted. He's so short-sighted that it's as if he is a blind man because he cannot see reality, right? He's not living according to faith, right? He's showing that he is a blind man in the way that he is living, And this is the way those who envy and those who fret over evildoers is because they're short-sighted, right? They're only looking at this present world. They're not looking at things that are unseen, the life to come, the day of judgment. Those are invisible things that have not happened yet. Those are things that are unseen, but we have to look at this world in light of these truths and see them by faith. Also, How can we envy the wicked when they don't even know what true riches are? They don't even know and understand true riches. They are bereft of the ultimate good, right? The supreme good, the good which is above all other goods, which is to know God, right? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. Right, the pearl of great price is a far greater treasure than any possession that a man might obtain in this present life. And if someone is a godless man, then he does not possess Christ. He does not have God as his God. He does not have the pearl of great price. He does not have as his heritage, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right, To have God as our God, and for we to be the lambs of his flock, This is a greater treasure than anything in this present world. This is a priceless treasure. And this is a treasure that belongs only to the righteous. It does not belong to the wicked. They don't have it. So why would we envy them? They don't even have true riches. But we do. And when do we have these riches? Only in the life to come or do we have them now? We have them even now. He is our God now. So if anyone should be envying, they ought to envy us. They should envy us because we have God as our God. So we shouldn't envy them at all. No way, no way should we fret over them. No way should we envy them seeing that they don't have anything, anything at all. And even what they have, what little they have, is going to be gone in just a matter of time. Verse 3. Instead, what should we do? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Here is the remedy. The remedy to fretting, the remedy to envying. trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. This is the Christian life. This is to walk in the same way that he walked. Trust in the Lord. Those who fret over the wicked, those who are envious of them, show that they don't trust God. They don't trust in the Lord. Are the wicked rising to positions of power and prominence are they doing this by their own strength are they doing it because they have uh, said it in their own mind and they have done it themselves and god doesn't want it to happen but he can't stop it right those who amass these vast fortunes are they doing it merely by the work of their own hands and the answer is no not at all who is the one who's ruling over this world who is the one who is sovereign over all things who in his providential care is ruling over every single aspect of this present life. Even a hair doesn't fall from your head apart from the knowledge of God, apart from the will of God. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the will of God. Do we really think all these things are happening and God is unaware? That God doesn't see it? That God wants to stop it, but God doesn't have the power to do so? Is he that weak? Is he that ineffective, right? Is he that impotent that he can't stop Satan, that he can't stop the wicked from doing the things that they're doing? Of course not. So if we are fretting, if we're in, we are not trusting God. We're not trusting in the providence of God in God's ruling over this present world. There's not a single man who has ever or who will ever rise up in this world apart from the will of God. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Even Nebuchadnezzar knew this. If he knew it, then shouldn't we? Right? Shouldn't we know these things even better than he? Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. It says, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. 12 months later, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? That attitude, which is a sinful attitude, that's the attitude that the one who frets has. They think that they are doing it all on their own, that the wicked are rising up according to their own power. Well, that's not true. That's what Nebuchadnezzar thought. I've done all this on my own, for myself, right? I did it all. But look at what God tells him. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes immediately the word concerning nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws but at the end of that period i nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven And my reason returned to me, and I bless the most I and praise and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. And so I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. There, he was going to be taught there in verse 32 that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind, and he bestows it on whomever he wishes. So, Nebuchadnezzar, you did not establish this kingdom by your own strength, but God gave it to you. God gives it to whomever he wishes. No one ever has, no one ever will. Enter into a position of power, a position of prosperity, a part from the will of God. He gives it to whomever he wishes. So currently, Joe Biden, he did not become president by his own strength, by his own will. Yes, he is a fraud and he's a cheat and he stole it and he should be condemned for that and it should be investigated and he ought to be prosecuted for those things. But while he is where he's at, it is not outside of the rule of God. It is not outside of the control of God. God placed him there in that position for a season, for a reason, for a purpose, because God gives it to whomever he wishes. Nancy Pelosi, who's an evil woman, did not become speaker of the house by her own power. Now, of course, she thinks that she did by her own ingenuity, her own wisdom, her own endurance and all of those things. And yes, she's an evil woman and we should want her displaced, but she did not arrive at that position apart from the will of God outside of the control and the sovereignty of God. So why would we fret over these things, be anxious over these things? Now, yes, of course we should be bothered by them. We shouldn't be happy about these things, but we should not be anxious about it. And we will be anxious only if we do not believe what it says in Daniel chapter four, verse 32, that God doesn't know what he's doing. Do we really believe that? God doesn't have control over this present earth, that God is unaware of what is taking place on this earth. We know what's going on. We're able to keep abreast of of everything that's going on, but God doesn't know what's going on. Do we really believe that the wicked are acting outside of the providence of God, that they are thwarting God at every turn and that God wants to stop all these things, but he doesn't have the power, the foresight to see what is taking place? This is not the case at all. right, so if a wicked man rises up in power, then we can know for certain that God is the one who gave that to him, that God has a plan, God has a purpose for it, and we don't need to fret over these things. Do not be anxious when it appears that the wicked are winning the day, right? We have to trust in the sovereignty of God, in the providence of God. Exodus chapter nine, Exodus chapter nine, Right? And as bad as it is in our own day, it's not as bad as it was in Exodus chapter 9. Because we're not slaves at this point. I mean, we are in a sense through taxation. But we're not slaves in the sense that they were. Nor are they taking our male children and killing them. Right? They're not doing that. Right? We're not in this, as horrible of a situation as the Israelites found themselves in Exodus chapter 9 verse 13. But how did this wicked Pharaoh, how did he arrive for this time, in this position, and for what purpose? Exodus 9:13. then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, uh, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all of my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have then been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power, in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. So he came to this time to this position according to whose will. God's will, and God had an appointment with him in order to make God's name known through all the earth when he judged him. The higher he rose, the greater the judgment, right? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. So if they continue on in these positions, we know it is ultimately so that God can exact greater judgment upon them on the day of judgment. Right, and we ought to rejoice over that right, when we see it. And we should pray that God would let us see it in our own day. So fretting over the wicked doesn't do us any good. Right? It doesn't do any good. Being anxious when the world seems to be spinning out of control shows a complete, utter lack of trust in God's providence, in God's care. Right? It comes from wicked pride. Really, it is pride. It is pride that compels us to be anxious and to fret over the wicked. Because when we are doing these things, we are saying that we know better how to rule this world than God does, than the Most High. We know better how to care for God's people than God does, right? We know better how to order the affairs of men. We love ourselves and we love our families and our friends and our church more than God does. Because if we were in control, we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't allow these things to happen. We wouldn't let these wicked men have power and prosperity. That's what we're saying when we're fretting and when we're anxious. Whether we say that audibly or not, that is what we are saying to God by our actions. Are we wiser than God? Do we know better than he? Can we govern the earth with more wisdom, with more justice, with more righteousness than God? Do we know better how to care for his people than God does? Doesn't God know how to sanctify his people better than we do? Again, the fretter may not say this audibly, but by his deeds, by his actions, by his attitudes, he shows that he thinks that he himself is wiser than God. And that he loves people in the world more than God does. And that he knows how to do what is best. More than God. Right? More wisdom than God. Who thinks this other than a very, very arrogant person? One who thinks that he himself should be God. Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. We shouldn't have these kinds of attitudes. And again, many times we think, anxiety this is a very small sin right it's an acceptable sin oh everyone's anxious but it is it is rooted in pride in pride and in unbelief and it is a very wicked thing for us to be anxious about our life about our children's life about our job about our our situation about whatever we find ourselves in because we are not trusting in God and we have to Hate that sin we have to detest it reject it and we must overcome it by the word of God right? by the word of God and typically if you find an anxious person what are they not doing they're not reading their bible they're not reading their bible the way that they need to be reading their bible Job chapter 40 verse 6 then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said now gird up your loins like a man I will ask you and you instruct me will you really annul my judgment Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together, bind them in the hidden place. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. So there, he tells him, you want to be God? Then be God, right? Come on, you take the stand. You put yourself in my position. You adorn yourself with this. Are you able to do it better than me? Because up to this point, this is what Job is saying, right? Temporarily, he's questioning God's ways in the world and saying God doesn't know what he's doing. And he's saying to him, you want to be God? Then here, you do it. You do it. Can you do it better than me? No, we can't. We cannot. So instead of rejecting and questioning God's ways in the world, we should trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Don't doubt, but rather have faith. Trust, knowing that in the end, all things will work out according to the will of God. Now again, of course, this does not mean that we are passive. It doesn't mean that we have a defeatist mentality. It doesn't mean that we don't care about what's happening in this present life, right? Trusting in the Lord and being active and working against evil, right? These are not contrary to one another. Trusting in the Lord does not mean that we do not resist evil or fight against it in whatever way that we can, right? That's not the pattern of the righteous that we find in the Bible, they trusted in the Lord. They committed their ways to him. They cast themselves on his providential care. And then at the same time, they did whatever they could to promote justice and righteousness on the earth. And that's what we should do as well. And while we're waiting for that, we continue trusting in God and we do what is good. An example, Esther. Esther chapter 2 Esther chapter 2, we'll notice that this was the case with Mordecai. Who again, was in a far, far worse situation than we find ourselves in. He wasn't even in his native land, but was a captive in a foreign land. That's not the case with us. We're still here in our native land. Esther chapter 2, verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigtham and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the doors, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. So Mordecai didn't have a passive approach. He didn't say, well, if it's, God's will is going to happen and, or, or it's not going to happen, right? We'll just have to let it see, let it play out and see what happens. That's not what he did at all. When he found out about this plot to kill the king, he acted upon it, right? He acted upon it and he did what was right in the sight of God and he made the plot known to the king, right? That's what he did. He didn't know how this was going to be used later by God to humiliate his enemy, Haman, right, to bring about his ruin. And that's what happens later in the book. He's simply doing what he needs to do. He finds out, he informs the king, right? He tells Esther, it comes to the knowledge of the king and this plot is overthrown. And again, he's in a worse situation than us. He's living in a foreign land as a captive in a wicked land with a wicked king, not his own country. And yet even there, he's doing what's good and right in the sight of God. And then later in the book of Esther, Whenever this plot against the Jews, doesn't Esther have to go and act? Doesn't she have to go to the king at the risk of her own life and go about this in order to reveal this in order to save her own people, right? Because yes, God is sovereign. He is ruling over everything, but he also expects us to act, to act in accordance with what is revealed in his will. So trusting in the Lord and being active and doing whatever we can to resist evil, these two things are not contrary to one another. And that's what he even says here. Trust in the Lord and do good. Isn't that what Mordecai was doing? He was trusting in the Lord and then he was doing good. He was doing whatever promoted truth, righteousness, goodness in the land. That's what we need to do. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in his providential ruling of this world and then continue doing good living according to the revealed will of God a godly righteous life even while the wicked are prospering even if they prosper for many many years we just continue doing what's right in the sight of God we have to say I'm not going to follow their example I'm not going to be like them they may have their prosperity momentarily But I'm going to continue trusting in the Lord, in his wisdom, in his sovereign plan for this world, while I wait for God to work everything out according to his will. And while I wait, I will do what's good. I'm going to commit to doing good, living a godly and a righteous life. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Dwell in the land right, continue living in the land, right? Don't we have to do that? We don't go take our own life, right? We don't go live out in the middle of the ocean, right, on a raft. No, we're not doing that. We continue living our life here in the land during the time of our sojourning. Where are we going to flee to get away from the wicked? There's nowhere we can go. They're gonna find us, right? They're going to find us. There's nowhere for us to flee to get away from wicked men. They're everywhere. So we just have to live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Live a faithful, godly, righteous life in this current generation. Matthew chapter 13. This is God's purpose for us. Matthew 13, verse 24. <clears throat> Matthew 13:24 says, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir, did we not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is as it is in this present world. The wheat and the tares grow together. They live alongside one another, right? This is the way it is. We have to work with them. We have to go to school with them. We go to Walmart with them, right? We're out wherever we are. We have to be around them. And there's no such place that exists on this earth where it's only wheat, right? Where it's only wheat and there are no tares. We dwell in the land alongside of them, right? We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And that's not just true for us. That's always been true. This is true for every generation. So what do we do? What do the righteous do? Dwell in the land, dwell alongside the wicked, but we don't live like them. We do not walk the way that they walk. The wicked dwell in the land as well. They live evil lives, right? They seem to have the favor of God because of their power and prosperity, but we know the outcome of such evildoers. So while we live alongside of them, we're not going to live the way that they do. They sow mischief, but we are to cultivate faithfulness in the land. This is what God's word tells us. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. This is the way we have to be. While we live in this world, while we see evildoers prospering in the way, going from bad to worse, our own leaders promoting all manner of unrighteousness, the state of the church in a miserable state, right, in utter disrepair. Don't fret. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Don't be envious of them but instead trust in the Lord and do good. We have to entrust our lives to him who judges justly. And while we wait for God to reward the righteous and to punish the wicked, we are to live a simple, quiet, godly life, cultivating faithfulness as we wait for the Lord to act. This is the way that we have to live during the time of our sojourning in this present life even while we are surrounded by so much evil. So then, don't fret. Let us not fret over evildoers. Let us not be envious of wrongdoers, knowing that they will soon perish in the way. And while we wait for that to happen, we have to trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Let's commit our lives to doing such things. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come to you, Lord, thanking you for your holy word and that, Lord, your word, Lord, it gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we know that every word of scripture was breathed out by you and every word is profitable so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Lord, we know that one of these good works is that we would... Trust in the Lord and that we would do good, that we would dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Lord, that we would not be envious of evildoers and that we would not fret, Lord, over wicked men. But rather, Lord, that we would trust you, Lord, trusting in your providence, Lord, in your sovereignty, Lord, that you are the one who is ruling and reigning, Lord, over the affairs of men. Lord, in our own generation, we see there is so much evil. Lord, in our own culture, things are going from bad to worse. Lord, there are things that are are so shameful, Lord, so evil, that are being done in broad daylight. Lord, that are being promoted and, Lord, praised, applauded. Lord, by many institutions and by many leaders, Lord, who should be condemning such things. Lord, we know that the proper role of the authorities, Lord, is to reward what is good and to punish what is evil. And yet, Lord, we see the opposite happening in our day. They are rewarding what is evil and punishing what is good. And, Lord, we know that when this is happening, we will be tempted to be anxious, Lord, to fret over these things, Lord, to think that somehow this is happening and you're unable to stop it nor that you are not in control but lord how could we ever think these things lord how could we ever act in such a way lord when we have your word and your word teaches us so clearly that you are the one ruling and reigning over the affairs of men and there's not a, a single thing that happens on this earth not a single decision that is made that happens contrary to your will so, Lord, we entrust all things to you. And, Lord, while we hate evil, Lord, we hate sin. We, we want to see it, Lord, completely removed, Lord, or beat back in our own day. We don't want it to see it being celebrated in our culture, Lord, to see it being promoted on every street corner. Lord, we would much rather live in a society where there is more justice, more righteousness, more truth according to your word. But Lord, even while we work toward that and Lord, while we pray and we fight to bring about those things, Lord, we pray that we would not be anxious, but rather that we would have a quiet confidence and a trust, Lord, in you and your word, Lord, in your will and what you are bringing about on this earth. Lord, help us to see that, Lord, when you allow the wicked to continue on in their wickedness, Lord, it is so that you might bring greater judgment against them on the day of judgment. Lord, that your name might be glorified and might be praised throughout all the earth. So Lord, while we wait for you to act, Lord, while we wait, Lord, may we never entertain the idea that you are indifferent to evil. Lord, that you do not care about what is going on. But Lord, may we always remember that you Lord, you love righteousness and you hate evil in that you are not silent, you are not passive. Lord, you are greatly concerned with what is taking place on this earth in that, Lord, you have your eye toward your people in that, Lord, you will protect and preserve us and that all of these things will, will work out ultimately in the end for your glory and for our good. So, Lord, may we have great faith Lord, in you, and while we wait, may we commit our way to you, and Lord, live a godly and a righteous life. So, Lord, teach us as we go through this psalm, and Lord, give us greater confidence in your will and in what you are doing in this world. And, Lord, we'll give you all the praise, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.